Now here is where comes one of the most fascinating things about Surah Al-Qalaq. Now, Nafasat Al-Uqab, Uqab are knots, like threads you bring or, or like something you knock together. And net is to blow without spit, without saliva. So if I blow like this, that's nest. Now, if you blow with spit, it becomes what? Nefasa means to blow without saliva. Kefala means to blow with saliva, i.e. to spit. Because all spit is that you blow the air, but saliva mixed with the air. You see how Jewish always <laughs> have a very bizarre way of seeing things? It is no longer spit, it is only saliva mixed with air. That is how you analyze it. <laughs> so, Nafasat Sulaqad, those who blow without saliva in the mouth, what does that mean? Well, obviously, if you have no context, you can't understand it at all. But if you have a context, then it starts making sense. The context of it is that one of the most practiced forms of magic, or witchcraft, was that you would bring sheets of cloth and you write on them and you crumble them and you tie them all up in a knot and you layer them one above the other and then after doing certain incantations you blow on them and they and consequently cast a spell. You cast a spell on someone. Now there are several points of several issues revolving one, they seem to give credibility to the notion of witchcraft. That magic is effective. If you look at some of the tafasir, you'll find that they tell you that this is proof that the Mu'tazila was wrong. What they're referring to is that the Mu'tazila argue that magic has no witchcraft or magic has no reality, makes absolutely no difference in the physical world. In other words, in this process of combustion, regeneration, one of the factors, magic or witchcraft is not a factor in it. Magic or witchcraft, they cannot change the laws of nature that reduce this process of generation and regeneration. Because what is witchcraft? It is the alteration of the laws of nature as placed by God. God sets rules for causality and magic is the alteration of the rules of causality. So that things do not make the necessary connection anymore. The Mu'tazila insisted that witchcraft cannot alter this process so that its apple will be prevented from degenerating and, and, and producing a seed, or a seed will be prevented from producing a plant, or a plant be producing, prevented from producing a fruit, etc., etc., and same with human beings. Well, if you look into some of the books on the field, you'll find that they actually cite that this 
Sura, this ayah particularly, has proved that the Mu'tazila was wrong. And that in fact witchcraft does exist. And that witchcraft in fact can alter the laws of nature so that it would become effective. The story is complicated further by the report that a spell was cast upon the Prophet in Medina. By, by Jews, basically, and then there are, the, the reports differ as to who exactly among the Jews. The most famous of these reports goes something like this, that some Jews of Medina prepared one of these hukad, one of these knots, and blew on it, casting a spell upon the prophet, and then threw it in a well. The well is called Zarawan, the, the well of Zarawan. After which the prophet falls very ill. In some reports, he's ill for six whole months. And the report says that two angels come, one standing at his head, one standing at his feet, and he is in excruciating pain, shivering and agony. And one of the angels asks the other, what's wrong with him? The response is, matbub. Matbub means matkhul. Matbub, the word tub. Tub is medicine. And tub means sih. Mashed. Because medicine is always looked at as, as not a form of witchcraft. It's a form of magical achievements. The laws of causality is not really understood. It's like today we say medicine is an art form, that's exactly the same thing. Tub is, is, ma- is magic in Arabic. Tub is, Mabud means bewitched. Mabud derives from the same word as Tub. Now, this riwayah, by the way, is from, from Ibn Abbas. Then the angel asked, Who cast the spell upon him? The other angel says, Nabid bin al Asam al Yahudi. That the man is called Nabid bin Asam al Yahudi. And informs the, 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 the angel standing at the head, informs the angel standing at the feet, that he had cast the spell as good in the well of Zaran. And then the Prophet sends Ammar ibn Yasir to the well in which he brings out the, the knot and unlocks it. And there are 13 folds to the knot. Now count how many verses are in Mu'awwazatan. In the two verses called in Mu'awwazatan, we reach number 13. No, uh, in, there are 13 folds in the lot, and when the companions unlock it, the prophet feels better and better and better until the spell is removed and the prophet feels perfect again. Now, in the contemporary age, all hell broke loose, literally, between Muhammad al-Ghazali, the contemporary, when he wrote in his book, that by definition, this story must be rejected, regardless of the Islam. 
in his view, how could you say several points? One, how could you say that the prophet is bewitched for the period in some report of six full months? He's going around be, being a prophet and being bewitched. Now, what does this do to the Quran that was revealed at the time? Two, is that how could you say that the prophet would be so frail to overcome by something as simple as someone putting a curse in a knot? Where is God in this format? Three, when the Quran argues with the non-believers, unbelievers, what is the accusation of the unbelievers against the Kuffar, against the Prophet? That he is a what? That he is either a sorcerer or someone bewitched. When it says, Remember? That he is bewitched. And Ghazali says, well, if the Quran says how absurd it is for the Kuffar to say that he is a person bewitched, how could you then accept the authenticity of a report that says he's bewitched? Do you see the, the, the argument? Okay. So if the Quran ridicules those who say something like this, and then you accept the hadith that basically says exactly the same thing, that the, uh, exactly the same point that the Quran ridicules, nonetheless, the reason all hell broke loose is the hadith, several forms of the hadith have strong Islam. And in Saudi Arabia then broke this whole fight over the book in which Ghazali had argued it. Because Ghazali's argument was no less than simply on substance. The hadith must be rejected. Regardless of how strong the chain of authenticity is. This, my friends, is the Osuri school. I mean, Ghazali actually calls it Osuri a couple of times in his book. But this is basically the age-old debate between the authorities and al-Hadith, nothing has changed. But this argument about this Hadith, Ghazali did not invent. Because this Hadith has had a debated status throughout Islamic history, not only among the Mu'tazila, but also among the authorities and al-Hadith, as far behind as at least a thousand years ago. And it's been going on about a thousand years. And the argument is more or less the same thing as what Ghazali has said. Is that it contradicts the, Quran, the, the Quranic discourse. It is an absurdity against or an offense against the very idea of a prophet and a chosen one to deliver the, the, the message, etc., etc. The only difference is that the Mu'tazila went beyond that and said the whole idea that someone can bewitch someone else. The whole idea that someone can bewitch someone else, the whole idea that someone has the power to alter the laws of causality, the laws of natural causality, other than by God's express permission through a miracle, is impossible. You see, God created the laws of natural causality. God can introduce a miracle because God owns them. But for someone to have the power to interfere with that, the Mu'tazila 
rejected from the very beginning. Now, the authority position, and by the way, nowadays, you know, among the very fascinating of Amr Hadith, if you ask them, is, can you put a spell, uh, put a spell upon someone else? Okay, what are they going to say? No, actually, today, the Wahhabis are trying, the Wahhabis are talking can you put a spell upon someone else? Actually, I don't know anymore, because it used to be when I was growing up, it was no. But, but I've heard that now it's changing. I mean, because the reason they slaughtered the Sufis is because they accused the Sufis of engaging in all types of, uh, all types of nonsense like that. But, I mean, it's, it is, it'd be interesting to go around in the mosque and ask people that question. Because someone put a spell on someone else. Yeah, and you buy, actually you go, you can become very rich if you, uh, if you uh, manufacture raqiyah. Yeah, and people go and they, they write to you like every special case, like you want protection from what? Or I, I want protection from hunger and this, so that they prepare special, I want protection from forgetfulness and stupidity for students who are going to take exams. You know, each one has one protection for something specific, and then they write it in the form of paper, you have to work on it. Anyway, then the debate became, okay, one view is that, and this was not the Mu'tazili, the Mu'tazili simply said, out of the question, no, no room. It is simply out of the question. They said, if there's any harm, what you are actually asking for is that from the stupidity and ignorance, remember when we talked about rationality and power of reason, from the frailty of reasoning powers that allow the human being to be affected by this. And this is what they call that istishar. And istishar basically in our modern parlance is projection of feelings and thoughts onto another. That you would be so weak that you would allow ideas and feelings to be projected onto you. So that when you learn that someone has put a spell on you, but you are such a weak human being, your powers of reasoning are so frail that you start internalizing much of the negativity and it becomes a self-fulfilling process. You know, it's like you go to someone and you look at them and you say, you will fail, and you give them a good stare. They've actually done psychological studies on this. And they found that the percentage of failure shoots up simply by telling people that they will. They do. And they, they actually, uh, they remember the psychological experiment where they took, it was sort of new. And they took people with low IQ and kids with low IQ and they told them that you're going to go to the honors class. And they took kids with high IQs and told them you're going to go to the mentally challenged class. And lo and behold, the kids with low IQs were outperforming the kids with high IQs in no time. Simply because they thought that they were in the honors class because they're smarter. He started actually acting it out. Now, the Mu'tazila had this, this same argument of istishar, 
with the conscious heart, which is basically the projection of feelings. And see, all that these people do is that they project or inspire certain feelings onto you that then you internalize. And when you internalize, you get effective. So the, the, frailty, the frailty is actually yours. And what you are seeking refuge from is this whole dynamic of weakness that could mar your existence. Or you are really seeking refuge for the istishar. Some argued, and back then it was Ahl al-Hadith who argued this, he said, no, you see, what you are actually seeking, it is not that magic has any power. Magic itself has no power. But what has power is that these people can connect with you and communicate with the jinn. And the jinn then do their bidding. So it is not they that they are hurting you in any way. It is just simply they are forming alliances with the evil jinn who carry their bidding. From that perspective, in amulets and things like that, don't protect you from the jinn. But you see, it doesn't lead to the same thing. Because that's not what's going to protect you or, you know, hanging horns on your door or, or, or garbage or whatever. It's not going to protect you from the jinn. What protects you from the jinn is the Qur'an. Reciting the Qur'an and prayer and things like that. So this was the Ahl Hadith position. The Ahl Hadith insisted that you don't wear amulets, but you, you read it. Like you, you feel that the jinn are you're under attack by the jinn or something. So you start reciting Qur'an, and that should be your protection. Or some of them have said that you, you hold the Qur'an, the whole Qur'an. Now, here, the Usulis did not exclude the possibility of involvement of the jinn. And this is a bit surprising. Why? Because he said the jinn is simply from the alam of shahada that cannot be seen by us. And we really don't know much about them. We really don't know how they function. But no one is to be believed in saying that they control or they can manipulate the jinn. The jinn is very much like the spirit of the ruh. We simply know nothing about. However, they observed the interesting phenomena that in a group of people, when one person starts yawning, what usually happens? Everyone starts yawning. And they, call, and they call this Iha, which means inspiration. And here, we say it is not just intellectual projection, projecting onto you intellectually, that causes the damage, but this sense of inspiring into you is psychological position of weakness that then makes you open to all types of damage. And here it is because the belief that souls have a language that is far more complex and far more transcendent than the intellect. For example, you know, when a mother you know, thousands of miles away, she feels that 
as something had happened to her son. Because she saw something happen to her son that moment. And basically the argument was is that here there is a language to Alam al Ghaib, which is the, the world of the soul, that we don't understand. And it is that language, that subtlety of language, that produces a form of inspiration, very much like when one person yawns and then the, the others start yawning. And what you are asking God for protection from is, yes, the frailty of intellect, but also the frailty of spirit that makes you susceptible to all these indeterminates that plague the world of Al-Ghayb, the world that you don't understand. In other words, the combusting, ever-energizing world that exists is very complex, and it produces evils that you can recognize and understand, like the scorpion heading that. But there are all types of, of, of things that, to you, vis-a-vis you, not within your realm of consciousness. And here, النفاثات في الأقل it is not that they possess any power, these, these people who sit and blow onto knots, because also the Asulis rejected the authenticity of the whole notion that the Prophet is bewitched and all of that. But it is the idea that, that by doing so, they tap onto a weakness in your own soul, exploiting it and inspiring in you a lot of self-inflicted damage. This is very much like, you know, I don't know if you've ever had this experience or not. Some people you meet have an unbelievable influence on you, and you don't know why. I mean, psychologically, when you think about it, it actually annoys you. Some people you meet, you never yourself around them. You sort of like cloud or a buffoon around them. Every time you're around them, you say stupid things, you act in a stupid way, you do all the wrong things, and when you think about it, you're sure that you wouldn't be this way in another context. Often that vis-a-vis your spirit, vis-a-vis theirs, it could be, it's not, it's not always, sometimes it's just nervousness, just nerves, but sometimes it is that there is a weakness in your own spirit vis-a-vis that person, which by process of inspiration, it is exploited in. And sometimes, and actually here, you know, like you say the stupid things and so on, all of that is not serious. I mean, it's not something dangerous. But when it's dangerous is when, and may God forbid that any of you would, would feel this, is when, you know, you meet, I don't know if you ever get into this lousy job of actually counseling and all of that stuff. You meet someone who says, oh, I don't know, you say, why did you do this? I don't know when I'm around him or when I'm around her. It's like I'm not myself and I do all the wrong things and etc. etc. Of course it can be resisted and of course it can be fought, but with the strength of soul. What this person is not realizing is that their soul is weak and that the other person basically puts the terms of discourse or lays down the terms of discourse between their two souls, and consequently pretty much steers and directs the soul of the weaker side, of the weaker party, 
do it. Anyway, this is a whole separate, complicated matter. But the, the, the whole notion, again, the Ufuli school and the Sufis, the Sufis even, one has to admit, much more than the Ufuli, excel in these types of, of inquiries. Is that the, the notion, what today we talk about in terms of psychology and projection and so on, you know, it is, if you ever read any essays on compulsive behavior, and the certain compulsive behavior is associated with certain personality types that you meet. Have you ever heard stuff like that? I mean, it's like certain personality types trigger certain compulsive behavior. And then the, the, what is, there are certain mental or psychological associations that are generated by this personality type that produces like a trigger effect into the other person of compulsive behavior. What this is really is a weakness in part of the person engaging this compulsive behavior. You know, it's like modern psychology says an inability to control. It's not an inability to control because you can. But it is basically a pre or an orientation or a, or, or a, a strong bias towards acting in a certain way because of this psychological weakness. And basically, then the authorities, as well as the Mu'tazila to a certain extent, focused on this aspect when we say Al-Nafasat al-Aqad. So, note here, several, how much, how many issues surround this one verse. One, the bewitching of the Prophet, whether, whether it ever happened. Two, whether the, 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 this bewitching is actually like real, in, in, in tangible, physical, like when a, a Jew bewitches the prophet. Or is it by the assistance of jinn, which is also physical? Or whether it is not by the assistance of jinn at all or anything like that, but it is the exploitation of a weakness in your reasoning process and in your aql and fiqh. Or also, in addition, an exploitation of a weakness in your soul and spiritual state. Now, I have to say, my own view, my own feeling on this, is that the Prophet is not the witch. My own feeling on this is that there is no bewitching in any form, shape or sense. My own feeling on this is that to use the jinn is conjecture. I mean, it is, why believe that anyone can use the jinn? Who knows where the jinn are? I mean, maybe as far as far we know, the jinn are these aliens that keep lying all the time being spotted. Uh, we don't know any, really much about the jinn, and there's no need to start injecting the jinn into our universe into, into our service, as if the jinn are there to, 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 serve, to serve us, which is a very arrogant, homocentered view, if you think about it. You know, it is such a uh, typical of human beings, as if even the jinn have to serve us. Why can it be that we serve the jinn? I mean, why can it be that actually everything we're doing, we're doing because the jinn are moving the threads and playing around with us? 
it's better that we, as human beings, leave the gin alone and, and you know, we, we, we stay with ourselves. Because Allah wears it. I ask you the, the power, weakness, exploitation of power, reasoning, and psychology, I accept both. That you, practical experience has shown me, time and time again, that yes, if you are weak in intellect, people can project all types of ideas onto you, and you believe them, and you, and you give effect to them. And if you are weak in spirit, people tend to inspire all types of evil onto you, and also you give effect to them. In the verse that it says, protect us from the evil of their master, it says protect us from them, which, which then lends support to the idea of the evil that, that they produce. Not that the, I mean, of their evil, not their magic. So, I mean, the vast majority of schools and theologians were not willing to accept the idea that they have power. But the problem they had is the story about bewitching the prophet. Those who accepted the authenticity of the story have to accept the possibility that someone could bewitch you without the use of the jinn. Why? Because you can't say that the jinn have power over the prophet. But the Hadith people actually ended up in this inconsistent position. They accepted the authenticity, excuse me, of the bewitching of the prophet, but refused to accept the, the, the idea that bewitching can happen without the jinn. And like if you're if you're a believer, they have, they have no power over you. But if you're not, then they like, for example, the, the issue that we talk about, someone comes and blows the knots and does what would supposedly happen to a prophet when you're sick and you lay down in bed and you're shivering and you're sweating and so on. They say, yeah, the jinn can do this. In fact, in the Imperial Oscar, I was having this discussion with someone who like, felt ill nearly all semester. And he insisted that this was a spell cast on him in which the jinn basically played the role that kept him ill because doctors couldn't find what were out what was wrong with him. So I mean this notion of thinking is, is alive and well. I mean but that doesn't mean that of course everyone believes that insanity is formed possession by Zen. No but the initial notion among Arabs is that insanity was a form of possession by jinn. But then that notion changed as more and more the idea of possession was rejected as Christian, non-Islam. Okay. Finally, Hasidin is a Hasid. Hasid is to, there's a distinction between Hasid and ghibta and munafasa. Hasad is envy in, in the very ugly negative way, form. And that is when you envy what another person has and you wish in your heart that what this person has, he or she would have no more. So hasad in, in correct usage is when you envy someone and you 
wish in your heart that they would lose whatever they have. Ghibta means Ghibta and Munafasa means the same thing. Munafasa and Ghibta is to look at what another person has and wish that you have like it. But you do not at all wish that the other person would lose what they have. I mean, in a very blunt way, you go, see someone has a book. It's not that you wish that this person would lose their book and you would have it, but you wish you would have a book like it. Difference between hasad and ghibta or munafasa. The hadith of the Prophet or hadith attributed to the Prophet is المؤمن يغبط والمنافق يحصل that a believer if a believer exercises anything it's ghibta now here when we ask Allah refuge from the envy in the negative in the ugly negative sense what is it exactly that we are asking for Does someone who envies have any power? You know, in traditional societies, they, they believe in the evil eyes. If you look at someone with extreme envy, and before you know it, this person loses what they have. And they do strange things. I know that in Iraq, they take an egg and they smash it in front of them. Like if they buy a new car, to protect it from evil eyes, they take an egg and smash it on the car, or in front of the car, or whatever. I don't know why. Now, The, so, the 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 um, the year the one possibility is that the envier has direct physical, metaphysical even powers of committing evil. The other possibility is far more mundane than that, is that the envier, by the fact that he or she practices this envy is going to practice a lot of harm and evil. Going around talking about the person, going around trying to hurt the person, going around trying to plot against the person, spreading rumors against the person. In other words, it is nothing metaphysical and, 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 and magical, but simply the ugliness of someone being jealous of you envious of you and doing everything they can to have you lose what you what you've got. So that the the in envia, you know, if you have a book, I wish you'd lose it, I sort of get subconscious desire not to be so careful with my tea around your book. And before you know it, it spills on your book, it and it ruins it. In a, in a certain way, I didn't take the tea and spill it over you, but, but also subconsciously and maybe consciously, I'm being quite careless. And that you see all the time. That, that you don't even have to... Um, and that this is what you're asking refuge from. Furthermore, that you are seeking refuge from the type of stress 
and tension and discomfort that is created by such an area. So that there's nothing, again, supernatural in it, but simply the type of suspicious, cautious, nearly paranoid atmosphere that is created by existence of an envier. And it was said that the first sin, the first two real sins in the world were what? Well, actually, it was envy and envy. And then murder followed. Because it was Shaitan's envy of Adam, of Adam's position, that made him, made Shaitan pursue Adam until the first sin was committed. And it was the envy of Qabil against his brother Habib that led to the murder of Habib eventually. And consequently, then the surah ends with the most basic of all sins. Now here, this is an interesting philosophical point, whether the mother of all sins is actually envy. Now, note, what is Envy. Envy is an inherently comparative sin. It is based on comparing yourself against others. What did we say is the first step of liberation? Envy is we, if we say we ended with envy. And we started out by saying that deconstruction of the self. Deconstruction of the self inherently is all about what? It is about really negating envy. It is negating the comparative base by which you evaluate yourself. Human beings, in general, walk into a place and immediately they want to position themselves. Am I smarter? Am I funnier? Am I, I don't know, all the different criteria. This is how they relate to their surroundings. This is how they position themselves. When a person is serene within themselves, at peace, it is as if the comparative base no longer exists. You see? And the completely, a person, person completely at peace serene with himself, right? That is what the process of deconstruction of the self is supposed to result in. It is the negation of the comparative base. The negation of envy. So here, then the surah has a very holistic structure, if you notice. So let me, let me hash it out again. Then everything is presented as a whole powerful unit that presents a unitary message to you, right? Because falak, we said falak is what? The combustion out and the gap. So now the process of construction, of self-reflection is going to ultimately result in what? In falak, right? In, in you combusting out of what? You are now going to eject out of this comparative base, out of the envy-based 
dynamic and relationship that exists among human beings. So, starts out by saying, I seek refuge in God, the, the master, the, 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 care, the, 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 the master of this interactive process that results in combustions and gaps. Now, this process of combustion and gaps, this recreative process, is going to produce evil. This evil is produced partly by the process and partly by what the creatures of God do and commit. And I seek refuge from this evil. And I also seek refuge from the creeping evil that seeps and spreads in the absence of a self-reflective essence or intellect. Because you can catch it if you know how to probe. But if you don't, you never notice it. I mean, you must have met some people. It is clear that they're being unfair. It is clear that they're being dishonest. And you just want to pull your hair out because they can't see it. They just can't see that they're being dishonest or they're being sleazy or they're being unfair. And you try to explain it to them left and right and they just don't get it. What is going on there? It is the seeping. This is the ghasak is This is the seeping foul spread that the absence of the reflective self, they can't see. They can't see through themselves. They'll see the injustice, by the way, if someone else does it. So if someone else does it, it's like, well, that's not right. That's not fair. If you do it to them. But they are an immunized fortress of what? They are impenetrable. So if it happens with others, here's the Hassan coming being set up for the for the you know the hit. That Hassan if it happens with others, they notice. But they themselves are above reproach. And our own human experience in, in life ver- verifies it. Now, and then from the type, the, 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 the evils that come from the weaknesses of the mind and the heart, from the evils that are beyond our comprehension. You know, these, these weird people who sit there and blow up knots. Well, we're not going to claim we understand the nature of every evil that exists. I mean, the, yeah, things like the X-Files sometimes happen, and we don't know the reason for it. There are bizarre things that exist, and we, our level of knowledge can't take it in. So we seek refuge from that as well, from the weakness of mind that allows us to be inspired to do things, from the weakness of spirit that puts us in a, in a state of, of lack of comprehension and, and puts us behind a veil of ignorance, sometimes even stupidity, 
and from the weakness of ignorance, which does not allow us to understand all the evils that there are, to, there is to understand, and ultimately from the weakness of the first sin, and that is the weakness of existing in life on a comparativist base vis-a-vis -vis others, so that always am I better or am I worse? There are people that that exist like that. I mean, the whole question in their life, am I better than this person, or better than that person, or worse than that person? That's it. They don't think about anything else. Now, the beauty of this surah, I mean, all the surahs you'll see, they do wonders. If people who truly understand the Quran, you see, this, this book truly could not have been composed by a human being because of the wondrous ways that it works. That when you are going to bring this reflective self, you are going to go back to the Khalaq. You are going to is the expression. You are going to eject outwards from the comparativist base, and a gap is going to be created you between you and the world of Hasid and Iza Hasad when Nafasat from Uqad Iza So you in in reverse order. You see? So, I mean, you could go in this order or the opposite order. But when you eject, now you, you go away from, from it in reverse order.